Hi again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Talent Talks. I'm Rob Adams. On today's podcast, we are joined by Dan Hawkins, founder and CEO of Summit Leadership Partners. There are profound competitive advantages that lie ahead for any organization that can predict the performance of their top leaders. On today's show, Mr. Hawkins discusses the pros and cons of talent due diligence versus org assessments post-transaction. He also examines how PE portfolios can accelerate the talent component of their value creation plan. Dan, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks, Rob. I'm doing well. How about yourself? We're doing okay here in the Northeast. Um, Dan, this is a topic that I'm sure you have a lot to share on, so if you don't mind, let's jump right in. Let's do it. Describe the competitive advantages that pre- that predicting leadership performance gives to your top clients in private equity. Yeah, sure, Rob. Um, you know, at the end of the day, private equity investors, they're placing bets on CEOs and management teams. And historically, private equity hasn't spent or invested a lot of time, frankly, in talent and leadership performance uh, as they evaluate investments. Historically, deal teams have focused you know, mainly on financial modeling, such as expected revenue growth, cash flow forecasting, EBITDA opportunities, investment rate of return as when they evaluate deals for investment decisions. However, um, understanding the capability and frankly the probability that the management team is going to deliver on their investment is critical. And especially in, in the buy and build growth investments that we tend to work with, the top executives on the team, the, the, top, uh, the top employees where the key talent is, they have to scale with the growth thesis. Um, you have to be able to predict the likelihood that CEOs and their management teams are going to be able to deliver. Um, you can't assume that the $50 million CEO can lead a $150 million company or that the $100 million CFO can be a CFO for a publicly traded $500 million company someday. Um, the less, as you grow companies, the less you're, you're relying on that superstar founder CEO and more you're, you're, you're relying on the organization capabilities of the company and the, the entire management team. And there's now, there's, there's great tools, there's great experts, you know, like Summit, I'd like to say, but a lot of great uh, things out there that can help get, get ahead of predicting the performance of individuals. Um, typically, PE firms assess and evaluate their top talent during due diligence or immediately following the transaction after the investment's made. Um, to determine what kind of talent do we have, and it's not that they all have to be let go. In some cases, um, some additional support or investments required. But breaking down that that value creation plan into what are the most critical organization capabilities allows investors to ensure they've got the right talent and the right organization in, in, in place. And most of our clients are assessing their CEO and maybe a few directs, in, you know, uh, in addition to that, and they're identifying. Who's going to make it? Who's going to help deliver? And who needs, frankly speaking, needs to be replaced? And and where there needs to be some further augmentation and, and development. You know, I just would like to say because I think investors have realized you can't look at talent in a vacuum. It's not just fire your way to success. Context matters. Um, the strategic thesis, the growth plan, and the capabilities required matter a lot. And, and you know, it's great that private equity now is, is really having a great appreciation for that. I really like that part about context matters because it really does. There's no question. Absolutely. I mean, a, 
a turnaround versus a growth company, uh, you know, a consolidation of uh, businesses into one platform. I mean, it's you, you can't just look at a job description and, and determine, you know, is, is this individual a key, can a, be qualified or not? Dan, discuss the pros and cons of talent due diligence versus org assessments post-transaction. What can you tell us? You know, those are those are similar uh, evaluations, just done at different times with different levels of intensity. And, and I think you really just have to be clear on what your objectives are. Um, when you're doing talent due diligence, um, you're really informing on strengths and gaps before the deal is made. And frankly speaking, there's uh, very little, very rarely does it stop the the deal. You know, it's usually to inform what do we have and what what may need to happen after the transaction. If you're if you're really looking to catalyze change and get a deeper um, assessment of talent and structure and culture. That's where a post-transaction organization assessment would take place. If I had to guess, I'd say probably, yeah, out of all of our private equity clients, probably 15% of our clients are actually doing due diligence prior to transaction, and the rest are doing post-transaction uh, organization assessments. Now, talent due diligence assessments typically take place within 30 days of close, and um, they're more difficult to do because often the uh, you know the management team doesn't want to disclose too much. They they don't they may not or may not want to participate in the process. The investment bankers don't want you to look under the hood too deep. It's especially difficult during an auction or a competitive process. It's near impossible. But just you just have to keep in mind that during the due diligence process, you're informing the deal team on, on the strengths that you're, they're 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 going to be acquiring, as well as potentially some concerns. And you have. You know, it's usually it's usually fast and furious, and in our case, you know, we're given very little um, advance notice, and we probably have two days maximum with the, with the management team. So there's a lighter touch, and you're able to get a, you know a good read, but not as in-depth read as you might at a, at a post-transaction um, uh, assessment. But believe me, there's definitely better, more sufficient rigor. Than if you just got to know management during you know, pre-deal meetings, pre management presentations, and the uh, the dinner observations, um, but you are able to inform. Now, on an organization assessment, it tends to be a much deeper dive, and it takes place you know typically within a few months after the transaction, where you're starting with identifying the organization capabilities and talent requirements to to, to execute on the investment thesis. So you're much more specific, and in our case, we'll establish a very detailed organization scorecard to identify what are the most critical talent-related factors you need to be assessing for. The key about an organization assessment is you're able to spend a bit more time, and usually because the investment's made, the management team is settled in, more often than not, there's already a well-aligned uh, growth plan or strategy that's, uh, that's being put in place. So the talent assessments can be more in-depth, the interviews longer, you can spend more time evaluating things such as organizational design, decision-making, accountability, culture. Um, and what, what comes out of it is an organization assessment will yield a detailed uh, playbook, an action plan on how to align the, the human capital with the value creation plan. So, so, so once again, very specific actions that you can take in the first six months with the management team 
with key players on the management team, structural changes, it's much more actionable. Albeit it does, it does take a bit longer, it's probably three to four weeks in time, but you have a, a much richer view that uh, not only the deal team, but even the CEO and the management team can take some ownership for. The common denominator for both is they're focusing on scalability of leaders, scalability of the management team, and scalability of the organization. It's just a due diligence, you have a limit, limited window of time. Post-transaction, you've got more time and you have the ability to be much more thorough. We're talking with Dan, Dan Hawkins, founder and CEO of Summit Leadership Partners here on Talent Talks, and I'm Rob Adams. Dan, how can executive transactions be softened and accelerated in these challenging times? Well, you know, Rob, you can't simply drop CEOs and top executives and expect them to figure it out, especially during remote working environments. It's much more difficult. Um, obviously, C-level leaders can't, can't meet their teams in person on a regular basis like they could during pre-pandemic times and establish the necessary rapport and connections uh, that they, they would like to make. Um, I mean, but we can't use everyone's remoteness as an excuse not to do the up, upfront critical planning engagement work to help ensure success when a leader does take a new role. You can be, you can be just as intentional and focused about this type of work. Um, when we transition executives into new roles, typically C, uh, CEOs or C-levels, we focus on three areas. Learn and, and, and assess the business. You have to understand the business that you're, that you're going to be, be leading. Two, build relationships and, and rapport with the, within the organization as well as your board and other external stakeholders like key customers. So establish key relationships. And the third thing is begin to establish your agenda and what's the role that you are going to play in that company. What's the value that you're going to create as CEO or whatever uh, leadership role you may, be, uh, you may be assuming. Those three things are still critical. I don't care if you're virtual or not. So you just have to find ways to determine that. We conducted a study last year with over 100 uh, private equity CEOs that was published. And in this study, we, we wanted to find out what were the most critical factors and attributes for these leaders during the pandemic. And they, they were still the same as pre-pandemic. It was establish a high-performing leadership team, build a, a re relationship with the board of directors, and align the rest of the organization with the strategy. And in most cases in our, in our, our survey that we learned, it's got to be done within 10 months on the job. So I'm not sure if that would, would be any different if we conducted the study before COVID or after COVID, but they still uh, uh, remain very, very true. Now to improve CEO transitions, you always have a documented plan. You have, and we like to begin with the talent assessment debrief to understand where the CEO's capabilities, style, experiences align or may misalign with the context, as we talked about earlier, of the business and the culture of the company. The transition plan should include the detailed, um, a detailed schedule of uh, meetings with key, uh, key employees inside the company, the board members, key stakeholders outside the company, um, communications plan, critical business challenges to, uh, to learn. Um, we always suggest a new leader assimilation be conducted facilitated by an outside person with the management team to accelerate the relationship between the management team and the, and the, and the CEO. They need to understand um, what makes them tick, what's most important to, to them without having to find out by accident. Um, 
we recommend the CEO establish and instill that new management team operating cadence within the first 30 days on the job. Um, after four or five months, uh, best practices, um, conducting some sort of informal 360 degree feedback to check in with the team, the board, and other key stakeholders to ensure the executives on the right track and, and, and obviously can pivot or make adjustments as necessary. Um, I expect, and you know, I should say, we coach and encourage CEOs that uh, you know, really at around the six-month point, they should have a definitive point of view on the business, the levers they're going to pull, and also have should have an informed point of view on the team that they're going to uh, establish or 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 build or any potential changes that sh that should be made. Um, the, the key is is having key you know frequent contact with all of the key stakeholders along the way and, and allowing for course correction. In our experiences, those, those uh, CEOs that are, um, you know, allow themselves to not apply a one-size-fits-all playbook to their assimilation and their transition typically are the most successful. In our remaining time, Dan, how can PE portfolio companies accelerate the talent component of their value creation plan? You know, Rob, I, I think uh, I think in private equity they're still figuring it out. Um, I think there's uh, in, in private equity they're um, they're you know they're actually really adopting some great practices. In fact, I'd say most of our private equity um, clients are actually have, have, uh, if not have hired uh, uh, human capital or talent executives in their firms are actually at ongoing searches as we speak. Um, historically, as I mentioned earlier in one of your, your prior questions, the deal teams focus pretty exclusively on the value creation plan uh, without addressing and discussing the talent and capabilities required to execute the plan. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I think over and over again, they, they leave after a transaction and, and, you know, first 30 or 60 days having a, an agreed strategy and envisioning plan with the management team and expect that the management team will just figure it out and execute it accordingly. But you have to have the right management team members, the right structure, the right talent and organization accountability, accountability put in place. Um, if there needs to be a change in leadership, it's important to determine this early and clarify how this team's going to work together when, once the team is, is, is uh, established, which includes establishing and agreeing on their operating cadence, accountabilities, and key deliverables. Um, to accelerate the talent requirements, it's critical to identify and assess what are the capabilities required. And, and really, um, you know, during the strategic execution, have the ability to course correct along the way, especially once you've identified that growth strategy and the capital deployment plan. Um, as I mentioned in a prior question, we recommend that um, from that value creation plan, you establish a, an organization scorecard, assess talent, assess the organizations against this, and you can identify very specific gaps that can be addressed early in the hold period. When we get pulled in and it's two to three years in the investment cycle, it's usually because the deal is off the rails. And I, my, my, the greatest suggestion I can give to deal teams is start earlier in that investment hold period. Um, versus later, because then you're able to put the right people in the right jobs and establish the right organization model in place to be successful. Unfortunately, you know, even in, outside of PE, talent can often be a reactive uh, discussion with many leaders and investors. The more proactive you can be in this will really help accelerate the, uh, the investment returns and your odds for being successful. 
A lot of great answers, Dan, and we're so grateful for you coming on today. It gave us a lot of great stuff. Great. Thank you, Rob. I enjoyed it. It's my Stay pleasure. Well. Dan, thanks again for coming on the show today to share this incredibly valuable information with our listeners. That's all the time we have here today. I'm your host, Rob Adams, alongside Dan Hawkins of Summit Leadership Partners, and this is Talent Talks.